Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Matt Akers. Last name is spelled A-K-E-R-S. And we've been talking and kind of been friends on Twitter. He's a researcher like me and was putting up posts about a subject I'm interested in, which is kind of these MKUltra doctors post-war, or even pre-war in the case of the doctor we're going to talk about, which is Ewan Cameron. I've done a show about him. It was more focused on one of his vict- unwitting victims, uh, the person who wrote the book, his name is Dr. Harvey Weinstein. He still teaches in Stanford. I had a little bit of uh, back and forth correspondence with him. I tried to get him on my show. He politely declined, but he wrote a book called Father, Son, and CIA. It's kind of hard to come by. I think I paid like 20 bucks for the paperback, but it goes in detail about what happened to Harvey Weinstein's father, who was uh, you know, a successful businessman and uh, went in for treatment and came out a different person and uh, those lawsuits are still going on today. These lawsuits of what happened to Harvey Weinstein, and Harvey Weinstein is involved in kind of a uh, kind of an anti-abuse, like a doctor abuse organization whose name I can't remember now, but I, it's in Berkeley, and I know you could probably look it up. I'll try to look it up and put it in the show notes. But uh, the the presentation I did was father, son, and CIA <coughs> about this guy you and you and Cameron at. Uh, who's had a very interesting life, but Matt can talk more about that. So Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. So for people who may not have heard your name, you're doing a lot of research online. Can you kind of talk about your background and what led you to become interested? I know you've done a lot of research in this guy more than I've seen before. Can you just kind of talk about what led you into the uh, research of MK Ultra and you and Cameron? Um, well, I, basically just um have always been fascinated by this stuff since i was young um i was born in the 80s so x-files and stuff like that were popular um and then there was um james elroy's books that always seemed to sort of connect to this stuff and i found william bloom's uh killing hope so just kind of spread out from all their weird conspiracy stuff and fiction and just basically history. Um, The Canada stuff was interesting to me because, uh, you know, Canada actually admits it happened. Um, The media has a bunch of news stories. Um, The Fifth Estate has a bunch of uh, segments on it. And and so it was kind of fairly easy to get basic information from. But when you dug into it, it just got worse and worse. And I just, I don't want to say obsessed, but I'm just fascinated by it. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting uh, documentaries and stuff online you can see about this particular subject. But you and Cameron features large as one of the kind of uh, dark artists or whatever, like up there with uh, some of these other characters. But uh, can you kind of talk about his background and what kind of led him all the way? He kind of had a pretty circuitous route to end up in Canada, right? Yeah, so he was uh, born in Scotland um, in 1901. And uh, in 1924, he got a degree in medicine from the University of Glasgow. And then in 1925, he got a diploma in uh, psychological medicine. Um, So after that, he took a position as a resident at the Glasgow Royal Mental Hospital. He uh, immigrated to the United States in 1926. And then after two years there, he moved to Switzerland to work at the, uh, I think it's pronounced Bergolzi Clinic in Zurich. And the Bergolzi Clinic was the uh, hospital that uh, Carl Jung worked at in the early 1900s. Um, and in fact, in 1902, Jung published a dissertation called On the Psychology and Pathology of So-Called Occult Phenomena, where he like analyzed seances from like a teenage medium. Um, and also during this, that time, uh, Jung practiced uh, hypnosis. And in fact, I think right around that era, um, the David Cronenberg movie, a dangerous method or something with, uh, um, Michael Fassbender, um, takes place around then. Um, and then, uh, so while Cameron was at, um, Zurich, he met the Dean of, uh, Manitoba school of medicine, uh, Dr. A.T. Mathers. And, uh, Mathers was also the chief psychiatrist for Manitoba. Um, through Mathers, Cameron was hired at the Brandon Mental Hospital as head of the hospital's admission unit, which included organization of mental health services. 
the uh, this I'm quoting from a book. Uh, the Prairie Asylum was a repository for the rejects of local society. There were no distinction between the categories of madness. Brandon was considered end of the line for the Manitoba social transgressor, an institution of fear that equaled a state prison. A person could disappear into either, never to be seen again. So at this point, um, the pharmacopoeia for controlling mood and behavior still, you know, depended on old and outdated medicines and snake roots. But Cameron was only uh, 28 then, and he had a uh, basically a free hand to do whatever he wanted to with these people. Um, and his first year in Canada, he lost himself in the works of Frederick Winslow Taylor, the founder of uh, scientific management and the high priest of the cult of human engineering. So in 1911, Taylor published a work primarily designed to show managers how to get more from their workers. Cameron realized it could be adapted to make patients function more efficiently. He began to carry out his first psychological tests at Brandon, which were a combination of Taylor's work and tests the U.S. Army had used during World War I. The tests consisted of questions to determine psychological responses. They were useful to justify all kinds of experimental medical intervention. And one of the, Cameron, one of the documents Cameron relied on were the principles laid down at the first conference of race betterment at Battle Creek, Michigan in 1914, where ideas were endorsed that focused attention on the mentally ill. Um, I'm not quite sure what race, the conference of race betterment is, but right. it, it doesn't sound very good. It doesn't sound good. It's probably <laughs> worth looking into. It's probably yes. one of those creepy uh, interwar eugenics flavors. So he's, he's early. He's before World War II. He's implementing kind of like the scientific, you know, approach to psycho psychiatry or psychology with all these in interventions. So it did, he didn't come when he started doing his stuff at McGill in the 50s. He was an experienced hand, which is actually kind of scary. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and it was right at the beginning of his career. He was he was laser focused on this type of thing. Right. And it goes on like you right here. It's a insulin shock therapy, isolation, straight jackets, cage beds, the whole bit. Yeah. It was all there before World War II. So people say like, oh, man, MK Ultra kind of stuff started in 53. Like it really, actually, I just posted something last month because it was the 70-year anniversary of the implementation of stuff. And you write, and we're going to talk about that. You show that Artichoke and Bluebird are even before the official timestamp of MK Ultra starting. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, there's a lot leading up to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. I mean, even the whole idea of mind control and brainwashing is it feels like it's been around forever, you know, as long as there's been people. But um, right. even you can go back to the 19th century mesmerism, mesmerize. It goes back to this guy called Mesmer, who was a hypnotist. Then he was a stage hypnotist and he was trying to manipulate people. So it, it even precedes the 20th century. The 20th century added this whole scientific flavor to it you know, yeah like, or yeah yeah um so like in 1932 at brandon he ordered the outer fences removed and replaced with tree hedges uh, certain wards were unlocked during the time of during the daytime and but patients had to work their way out of the mental hospital and prove they were worthy of release but the jobs were like they shoveled um rail cars full of coal by hand and they were basically paid one plug of tobacco a week. Um, in the winter, patients exercised only wearing light clothing and were told to keep active to stay warm. Uh, uncooperative patients were harshly shaved or even dry shaved as punishment. Uh, additional punishment included the wet towel treatment where they were clubbed with a wet towel until they cooperated. Uh, one complaint mentioned was a patients were covered, cuffed to a bed to remedy staff boredom or provoked until they lashed out and then beaten by staff. Now, I just want to stop here for one second because his idea of um, patients having to work their way out of the mental hospital and given basically these slave labor jobs of shoving coal with their hands. I started, I, I, when, I, when I was reading this, I was thinking of Jonestown, how Jonestown essentially was like a slave labor camp right. with punishments of, of beatings and and humiliation and stuff like that. Um, plus, Jonestown was really stocked with uh, 
me- medicine and, and, and chemical d- drugs. Yeah, um, they had a full pharmaceutical retinue. Somebody went there and said they there was like more drugs there than would be in your standard pharmacy, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so. yeah I'm pretty sure there was more drugs there than could like be used on the people there and keep them alive. You know, just you know, they're just an insane amount of drugs. Um, but then also, <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, I know the the provoking um, patience until a beating. Um, I, I, that's that's like a prison thing too, obviously. But you know, that's another thing is the um, uh, the <laughs> uh, in a, the Iraq War. Um, holy crap! Why am I drawing the blank? The 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 just like going on at uh, what uh, the like, uh, in Cuba. No, Cuba. there's Cuba, but um, the, yeah. the big prison, the big <laughs> the oh Abu Ghraib, Abu, Abu Ghraib. Yes, thank you. Yes. Um, where they did it was, it was the same thing to remedy staff boredom. They were doing these humiliation uh, uh, things, and it was also to me they were they were also highly involved with uh, MK Ultra type um, techniques. You know, the right, great. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah, it's all been implemented. So all this stuff goes back the stuff in the present. I did a, a discussion with Kit Clarenberg about what they were doing, this MK Ultra isolation, sensory deprivation stuff to these guys. They're probably trying to just reprogram them, too, which is even scarier. Some yeah. of the poor uh, Arabic or Middle Eastern guys. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's still around. This is the beginning of it right here. Yeah. Camera is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. So um, from 1936 to 1938, Kamen uh, was a senior research psychiatrist in the research division of the Worcester State Hospital. Um, And also during 36 to 38, Cameron was a very close associate to Roy G. Hoskins. Uh, The Bureau of Naval Research were both were (laughs) associate to Roy G. Hopkins. Bureau of Naval Research were both were employed Um, in recommendation letters. This was in the mid thirties. Cameron was very well regarded by the Rockefeller Foundation. Um, At Albany, he became an enthusiastic proponent of lobotomies. He began to refer uh, his patients for the procedure and would often stand in the operating room and watch it be done. Just creepy. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. During this time, German doctors found comfort that, this is a quote from book two, uh, German doctors found comfort that eminent colleagues across the Atlantic and Britain believe that all born criminals can be identified by certain physical characteristics and the solution, in the words of Henry H. Goddard, was to sterilize them, allow them to perform only lowly jobs, confine them to ghettos, discourage them from marrying outside their race, and uh, use a pure American superior intelligence to control them. So shortly before Pearl Harbor, Cameron became a member of the Military Mobilization Committee of the American Psychiatric Association. Uh, This period coincided with an increasing number of conscientious objectors, mostly Quakers, who were prepared to endure the brutality of American mental hospitals rather than enlist. The second uh, was the number of men rejected or discharged from military service for neuropsychiatric reasons. In all, 2 million of the 15 million inducted in the U.S. armed services would be rejected on such grounds, almost 20%. No other nation in World War II would have such a poor record. Um, So the mental hospitals of the United States began to fill up with people who refused service or were not fit for service. At, at Albany, Cameron used them as their guinea pigs, as his guinea pigs. Um, and it was at this point, uh, Cameron left Albany to accept a new position as the head of Department of Psychiatry at Allen Memorial Institute in Montreal. Right, which is Canada. part of, in Montreal, part of McGill University. Yes. So, yeah, that's where it even gets worse, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. He kind of progressively just got worse and worse, like no oversight, no consequence. A wide variety of guinea pigs. Maybe he was just used to guinea pigs. And so that's why he eventually turned on these kind of hapless people who had no idea what they were in for. Like they must not have known what they were in for in Canada, that this guy had been doing this already. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've, I I have no idea. But yeah, it, it seems like no oversight. But he, he, and another thing, he wasn't that old. He was like 38 at this point or something, you know, maybe under 40. Um, 
but uh yeah i i i, I don't know <laughs> yeah no it's just strange like people like think he came up with these techniques or even i think he came up with these techniques out of the blue that's not the case so when the all the stuff that went down with father son cia he was a experienced hand experienced, yeah. yeah experienced psychiatrist or i guess you know what is he psychiatrist right yeah. yeah, he also wrote a book in I think 1951 called like "On the Entomology of the Cockroach," um, which I've never read. But just that title alone, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like, I'm pretty sure he sees <laughs> humanity as a cockroach. Like, because I mean, he, he you don't find much stuff or any stuff about him ever writing about bugs. But then he's got this one book about cockroaches and, you know, he's using mental patients and conscientious objectors and people who are not fit for service. And to me, it's it's he it's like an almost detached, extreme disdain or something for humanity. Yeah, um, yeah. So I just want to move on to World War Two. Um, but so. He was a part of the American Psychiatric Association in Washington, um, who held secret meetings. Uh, the psychiatrists were tasked with creating psychological profiles on Nazis and German citizens. Cameron came up with uh, mass hysteria in a war situation, which would use German liberals to spread hysteria through the population. Alan Dulles uh, was intrigued with Cameron's proposal that uh, after the war, each surviving German over the age of 12 should receive a short course of electroshock treatment to burn out any remaining vestiges of Nazism. Uh, due to his work with the American Psychiatric Association, uh, to Dulles, he was a logical choice to send to uh, Nuremberg uh, to establish the state of mind of uh, Rudolf Hess. Um, so I just want to do a quick aside about Rudolf Hess. Okay. Um, in May of 1941, Hess made a secret flight to Scotland with the avowed aim of a peace treaty with uh, Winston Churchill. Um, and he was arrested and held in an English prison and then brought to the Nuremberg trials after the end of the war. Um, and he was pronounced sane by a British psychiatrist. Um, but uh, Hess was an early confidant and friend of Hitler. He was one of the men arrested after the Beer Hall Putsch. Uh, mm -hmm. while, while in prison, he acted as Hitler's secretary and was the person that transcribed Mein Kampf for him. Um, Hess was also in influenced by a wide variety of astrologers and occultists and read anything to do with Eastern mysteries or the power of the mind. So his flight... Yeah, he was a full New Ager. He was a full New Ager, Hess was. Hess, he was yeah. also number three in the Nazi party. It was yeah. him, and then there was another guy who got killed in... Uh... Uh, Czechoslovakia. I can't remember his name offhand, but yeah, Hess was up there. Hess, Hess took a bullet for Hitler um, in the beer hall putsch. So yeah, he was very close. Oh yeah. He, you know, they still, even though I've seen that he was um, like Hitler's replacement or, you know, considered to be Hitler's replacement. I also saw this other stuff about how he was a, um, a follower, you know, and he was always looking for, you know, something. So that's know. what Hitler liked to surround himself with. So he yeah, was always, he, a, they were all yes men. All the yeah. people close around Hitler were pretty much yes men. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <clears throat> but um, for like speaking of Hess and the New Ager, his flight to England was actually based on astrology. So he was passed along astrological advice advocating for a peace mission to England. Um, and the Duke of Hamilton, who was also into astrology, was persuaded to let it be known that he would entertain a visit from Hess. Uh, May 10th was selected as the date because an unusual conjunction of six planets in Taurus would take place at that time. But when Hess arrived, he was promptly arrested. And uh, both the British and the Nazis just claimed him to be an absolute madman. And uh, he was left in prison and you couldn't, no one could talk to him. So he was, I don't know if it was solitary confinement or what, but he was basically from May of, um, 41 until Nuremberg, he was in this prison. Um, so, and he was in, a, in prison until he died. I think he died in the 90s. They kept him in prison for 40 years. Yeah, he was he always was complaining. He always thought he was being poisoned and they were trying to influence his mind and all kinds of stuff like that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, back to Cameron and Dulles and Hess. According to Dulles, which I would take with a grain of salt, 
uh, the man who was claimed to be Hess was actually an imposter, as the real Hess was executed shortly after arriving in Scotland. Uh, Dulles asked Cameron to examine Hess to find a scar that would prove it to be him. Um, but the meeting proved to be unproductive because Hess had handcuffs on and the escort with him refused to take them off. So a physical exam was off the table, um, which, oh, I'll get to that. Uh, however, during Hess's final statement, he appeared confused and didn't recognize many of his fellow Nazis, which I, to be skeptical, I will say if he's been in solitary confinement for like four or five years, maybe, you know, he went a little loopy and was loopy to begin with. Right. Um, according to Hess, he says, people around me during my imprisonment acted towards me in a peculiar and incomprehensible way, in a way which led me to conclude that these people somehow were acting in an abnormal state of mind. Some of the ones who came to me in place of those who had been changed had strange eyes, glass like a dream. Uh, Hess was leading up to what exactly happened to him in the spring of 1942, prefaced by oaths to God that he will tell the truth and calling God as his witness. However, he was immediately cut short and told his time was up. So, um, you know, I, Ewan Cameron doesn't necessarily have a history of just physical exams. It's always mental stuff. Um, that's that's where his like defining feature as a psychiatrist. So knowing the story came from Dulles about the, the scar, I have a hard time believing it. And I'm wondering if Cameron was sent to Nuremberg, maybe to, you could say, brainwash. I don't know if he did hypnosis or something. Something to maybe find out what he knew, because obviously Cameron was working on interrogation techniques at that time. Um, right. So I don't know. That's It's a very strange meeting between very strange people. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very, and that whole thing to like, that's the whole cover. I'm just going to go assess his personality. But if you look through like so many things in American history, they send in this, these shrinks. There's all kinds of creepy shrinks around American events all yeah. the way through everything. Like, uh, so this is just one of the earliest examples. If somebody got this guy, they got Cameron to go talk to the third ranking Nazi in the world who thought that he was trying to create a peace with England. You know, that's why they got duped into that, which yeah. is a whole, it ties actually into Ian Fleming and Alistair Crowley. Uh, which is very strange, and uh, that's how they lure. And Ian Fleming supposedly lured, uh, spoke German fluently, and knew about Hess's interest in the occult, and that he was the one who came up with the astrology, astrological thing. And the whole thing about uh, the Duke of Hamilton and what they call it, the link, was some far right thing. A lot of it was bogus. So they, that was the Hess thought he was going to talk to people who were on the far right who were going to help. <laughs> uh, cure the war and it was just a lure it was a, like, a huge intelligence success but it's all been locked up but wow yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you know when i was reading about it i i saw crowley's name pop up a bunch too but um <laughs> that yeah, is a whole another yeah, yeah that's a whole nother thing he, 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 he experimented with hypnosis as well hypnosis. Uh -huh. so yeah just strange strange days but yeah just the, the camera and the fact that he's brought into Hess is really telling and he was eventually became the head of the World Psychiatric Council or something like that. There's the American APA or something like that. Yeah, right? yeah. He was head of the. I think it was all at the same time too. He was head of. I think it's American Psychiatric Association, the Canadian Psychiatric Association, and the World Psychiatric Association. Wow. I mean, he was. He was, he was the like, top. Yep, he was the top. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, like during the post-war years, uh, Cameron and Dulles still you know had a friendship and they would go to dinner parties and stuff um and dulles's wife uh clover was suffering from a deep depression uh, uh mostly I, I don't know about mostly but a lot of it stemmed from uh dulles's uh infidelities he cheated on her constantly so dulles supposedly had sex with like a thousand different women so yeah <laughs> i believe it's not that. like like he found a lover or something yeah he was a profligate Womanizer is, is a good one. Yeah, I you know I don't want to get off. It says a lot about his character. When I know when he died, when he died, Dulles died. His wife picked him up like dirty laundry. Laundry. He died in a bed. She wrapped it up and took it to the back, his body to the back door, and left it there to get picked up. That's You're how kidding. much. No, that's how wow. much contempt. Yeah, yeah. Wow. 
like dirty the laundry, like no, you know, he's done. Get get him out of here. I believe it, and he deserves it too. Yeah, he's a monster. He's yeah. a monster. Um, so Cameron got Clover to go to McGill to uh Wow, Alan so Memorial. she traveled all the way to McGill. See, Dulles yeah. was up around there. Dulles was born in very far north New York State. So these things are all fairly close to his kind of world. Like yeah. I mean, he's in between New York City and uh Montreal and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I you know she she somehow avoided the uh, worst of it though. She, I don't think she went to the sleep room. I don't think she had um, the insulin shock therapy or anything. Um, actually, she didn't the, get the curare shots. Like he was literally doing curare, like one of the most neurotoxic poisonous substances known to man. He was giving it to people. Wow, with no consequence. Yeah, never went to jail. Like the whole, like, I mean, informed consent, you want to talk about informed consent. It didn't start with these kill shots. It was like going back here. Nobody busted these people no. back in the day. Yeah. So. Yeah. They all lived. I mean, well, yeah, Cameron... just like Fauci's walking around, like he's a mass murderer. Like what the hell's going on? <laughs> he was, he's experimenting on people just like uh, Cameron was with no, no, it's probably because of the connection between Fauci and Cameron is that they're both you know, curated. Somebody's allowing them to do this to get information. So Fauci's probably just doing what he's told by somebody higher up, which should scare the living daylights out of people. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So the Rockefeller Foundation is all over this guy, right? And the, yeah. and the Gates and Rockefeller Foundation are all over what happened. With oh, God. Yes. The Gates Fund Gates Foundation is some sinister. Sinister. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um but so Clover avoided the the you and cameron treatment basically but i probably get i think I'm, i wrote this down to get into later but alan dulles's son did not um but i i want to move into project uh bluebird and artichoke yeah let's do it oh okay. dulles's son was injured in the korean, korean war. war right and you sent me something that he just passed away like yes. uh, over covid right so like he but he was never he had a brain injury so he's never really the same right yeah Yes. Um, so uh, Bluebird, Project Bluebird, was the CIA's mind control project, which was in full flight by 1951. Uh, officers were testing special interrogation techniques at secret prisons in Germany and Japan, uh, studying the effects of various drugs and techniques like hypnosis, electroshock, and sensory deprivation. But at this point, no one was in charge of it. So with the Cold War heating up, Dulles believed mind control could be the decisive weapon of the coming age. Uh, Sidney Gott Gottlieb was hired to head the program. Um, in the summer of 1951, Dulles concluded that Bluebird was not wide-ranging wide or comprehensive enough. He directed that Bluebird be expanded and intensified and centralized. The new project was called Artichoke, uh, apparently based on Dulles' favorite vegetable, which is like a rubbing it in your face type <laughs> code Interesting. name. Yeah. Like it's like peeling back your brain, right? To get at the heart. Yeah. Like oh yeah. The symbolism. Yeah. It's all that. Yeah. So around this time, brainwashing became popular around America. Brainwashing was a simple way to explain any aberrant behavior from anti-Americanism abroad to unorthodox political views at home. Um, you know, if anybody had an idea that deviated from, the, the main thought they were brainwashed usually in that time by the communists. Um, the CIA had deep concern over the issue, feeling it was their responsibility to not lag behind the Russians or the Chinese. Um, much of the artichoke work qualifies as a medical torture, dosing unwilling patients with drugs, subjecting them to extremes of temperature and sound, strapping them down to electroshock machines and, the, this type of stuff, this um, extremes of temperature, this was going on with, during World War II with the Japanese at the Unit 731. The same type of testing the human body, sticking them in cold, hot, loud, you know. Um, so a CIA memo written soon after Artichoke was launched, hence at its breadth. And these excerpts in particular from the memo make me think exactly of you and Cameron and what he would later be funded for. So the memo says, 
a considerable amount of research could profitably be expended in the field of sound. This research would include the effect on human beings, various types of vibrations, monotonous sounds, concussion, ultra high frequency, ultrasonics, the effect of constantly repeated words, sounds, continuous suggestion, non-rhythmic sounds, whispering. If any if an electronically induced sleep could be obtained and that sleep is used as a mean for gaining hypnotic control of an individual, this apparatus might be of extreme value to the art of choke work. There are a great many psychological techniques that could be used in connection with the art of choke work, including moving or vibrating rooms, distorted rooms, the, the deliberate creation on an anxiety condition, the creation of panic, fear, or the exploitation of phobias, the general problem of disorientation and completely soundproof areas. So by the middle of 1952, Artichoke had gathered considerable momentum. Uh, Richard Helms recommended it, that it be expanded to include experiments of such an ultra-sensitive nature that they cannot and should not be handled by means of contracts which would associate CIA or the government work in question. Um, Artichoke had become one of the most violently abusive projects ever sponsored by an agency of the United States government. In Dallas's opinion, it was now time to intensify and systematize it. On April 13, 1953, Dulles approved of the research project that would be known as MKUltra. Yeah, we're just uh, 70 years and almost a month away. That was it. So. Yeah. 149 sub-projects all over. Billions of dollars, like millions and billions of dollars. Like, it was it. Uh, but the, the size of the Manhattan Project is off the charts. Yeah. Yeah. All run by Dulles. Hmm, interesting. He was around. He, did, he was involved in some <sighs> curious historical events in the U.S. <laughs> I, it's every, I would say, like, every post-World War II until his death, his, his stink. His stink was everywhere, like yep. the, the, the foul aroma. Do you know that he had a club foot and walked with a limp? He was always trying to cover it up, but yes, he's always limping around too, yeah, like a like a monster, like a like a movie villain or something. Yeah. <sighs> his his uh, the Sydney Gottlieb had a club foot too. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> they were t- and, and Goebbels, all these characters, kind of. Yeah, it, Go- Goebbels had a club foot too. Yeah, Goebbels had a club foot. Uh, yeah. You can see him walking around. He's always trying to. Hide. They're all trying to hide it, but uh, in the in the Eastern tradition, you know, if you're reincarnated. Like club foot is like a real like bad sign of a bad past life. That's the way on the east side of the view. Uh, those three really prove that to be. Yeah, true. they prove that might be true. When you see them, you're like, wow, there might be something to that. Yeah. Anyway, um, so pri- I wanted to just a quick aside from McGill before you and Cameron, but uh, so prior to Cameron's experiments in Canada, the CIA had already had a connection working for them at McGill University in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donald O. Hebb was receiving grants as early as the 1940s from the Rockefeller Foundation and in the early 50s through a CIA front company. Uh, Hebb was experimenting with sensory deprivation and its psychological effects. Hebb explained in his classified 1952 report, these experiments were measuring whether slight changes of attitude might be affected by shorter periods of isolation, intensified by wearing a, by light diffusing goggles, earphones through which white noise may be constantly delivered, and cardboard tubes over the subject's forearms so that his hands cannot be used for tactical perception of the environment. Uh, by this point, Hebb's colleague, Ewan Cameron, also began to work with this method. So Hebb used uh, student volunteers and including the, the, the students, including among them were uh, the author Peter Dale Scott and the musician Leonard Cohen. Wow. And when you, when you start, it seems like every, every Canadian in this period who went to McGill was a part of these, these uh, studies. So it's, it's crazy. But those two um, definitely. How did you find out that he was involved in that? How Peter, I've heard of... Uh, what do you call uh, not Peter Dale Scott, the other guy, but I've not, I didn't know that uh, Leonard Cohen I'd heard, but I didn't know Peter Dale Scott. Where did you read that? It's in uh, Alfred McCoy's Torture and Impunity. Oh, and uh, Peter Dale Scott wrote a poem about his experience. I don't have the name of the poem handy, but uh, oh, so Peter Dale Scott wrote a poem about being a part of this. Maybe that's why he's such a like a 
that his mentality sensibility is that that he's so anti the American empires that he went through some of the grief associated with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I used to walk by his, him when I was at Berkeley. I used to walk by Peter Dale Scott, you know, back in ninety early nineties, because I, I was actually interested in his deep politics stuff. Back in the day, I was re- there was a website that I used to read called Deep Politics. Yeah. This is like the very beginning of the internet. <laughs> he, I never knew he's that. Interesting. Yeah. Um, ninety four. He's from Montreal, so it's not surprising that he went yeah. to Yale. But uh, the Dulles so, brothers were born in Watertown which is literally like just over the border from or very close, I think, to uh, Niagara Falls, somewhere around there. I think they're close to that, but it's like 50 miles from Montreal. Oh, so okay. I know that location. Sorry. Um, so going back to Heb's subjects, they started to have like uninten- unanticipated hallucinations akin to those induced by mescaline. And just mescaline was used by the Nazis um, for their interrogations, and what you know, wasn't mescaline like a biker Manson yeah, drug? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Mescaline is like a, comes from like a not a mushroom, some kind of plant. Yeah, mescaline. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and you know, through these experiments, one student had developed a form of mental illness following the experiment. Subjects were seeing things in the experiment. That's called peyote. That's peyote. Oh, it's peyote. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, one student felt his head was disconnected from his body and another felt he had two bodies. I don't know if like he was disassociating to try and stay sane in, in the environment. Um, in June of 1958, the office of Naval research funded who's spooky, um, funded a symposium on sensory deprivation at the Harvard medical school featuring Heb wow. and other leading cognitive science scientists of his generation. Their papers confirmed the significance of his discovery and further explored the devastating impact of sensory deprivation on the human mind. So Hebb retired from McGill in uh, 1972. Hmm. Um, How are we doing on time? Uh, Good. We got 20 minutes. Oh, okay, cool. Um, So going back to MKUltra, they needed a funding conduit and out of that came the Society for the Investigation of Human Ecology, or the Human Ecology Fund. Um, Dr. James Monroe was told to set up a research foundation to provide a cover for further clandestine research involving doctors and scientists. It would be called the Society for the Investigation of Human Ecology and headquartered in a townhouse on East 78th Street, New York, close to Cornell. Um, Dr. Harold Wolf agreed to be the new foundation's president lending it immediate prestige and removing any suggestion of suspicion. Uh, Dr. Monroe was the executive secretary with a staff of four bureaucrats. He would handle the administration of funds, laundering them through the foundation so that they could not be traced back to the agency. And uh, Dr. Harold Wolf was the chief of the neurology department at New York Hospital um, and Cornell Medical Center and former president of the American Neurology Association, who became one of the agency's leading experts on mind control. So in Wolf's CIA grant proposal that he wrote for his Cornell research team, they are in CIA, excuse me, let me start over. In Wolf's CIA grant proposal, he wrote his Cornell research team would test potentially useful secret drugs and various brain damaging procedures on behalf of the agency to ascertain their fundamental effects on human brain functions and upon the subject's mood. Wolf carefully stipulated that any dangerous experiments would have to be conducted at CIA facilities, not in his hospital. So um, Wolf was asked by Dulles to treat his son, who we talked about earlier, Alan Jr., from his brain injury from the Korean War. Um, Essentially, Dulles gave his kid to MKUltra research. Um, the, The insulin therapy, I'm not sure if he got... Uh, shock therapy, um, but his sister and I would assume his mother, since she just threw Dulles out like a piece of garbage, um, were devastated. He it was somebody with a brain injury who just got worse and worse and worse and worse um, due to this uh, experimental torture treatment. I think it's not treatment. Right. Um, so 
It's off the charts. It's off the charts. For people who don't know, this, you know, Cornell is located in Ithaca, New York. Very interesting, kind of a strange place. This Five Finger Lakes that uh, uh, Hunter Biden is like based his whole life on. Like, I don't, I don't know what the hell he's going on there. He has a tattoo of the Five Finger Lakes in New York. But they have, there's the other Cornell is a kind of satellite office in Manhattan of Cornell. Okay. So these guys are in, in downtown. Um, downtown there and i think that it was this downtown manhattan place where around this time jolly and west was doing his residency right so when mm. you finish your doctoral you know your medical degree then you go into residency you're trying to find a good place to start your practice or start practice on people residency and i think he did his residency i'm almost positive at this cornell uh, medical center in manhattan did he go to? Did he go directly from there to the University of Oklahoma? Yes, it was crazy. So, yeah. yeah, so he he bounced around. Uh, he he it's he has a pretty interesting different. You know, he goes to different places, but I think he was in Wisconsin, undergrad Wisconsin, graduate work. Where did he go? To graduate school? I can't remember. But yeah, then he bounced to Oklahoma and then to UCLA, and then to the neuropsychiatric center or whatever, and. Uh, who else? He's the graduate. What's the guy on on TV always complaining about Trump? He is the psychiatrist. He came out of that. Can't, I see his face. I can't remember right now. Oh, I, I have no yeah, idea. I'll, I'll figure it out. Okay. Um, <laughs> so Dulles uh, reached out at this point. Dulles reached out to Dr. Wilder Penfield, who was a neurosurgeon at McGill University, for help with MKUltra experiments. And then through this official relationship, uh, between the CIA, MK Ultra, and you and Cameron became established. So um, I, I don't know if it was Dr. Monroe, Wolf, or Penfield, but they were basically like, they told Cameron to submit a grant proposal for these studies that he was doing, and they would pay for them through the Society for Human Ecology. Um, so by 1957, he had began to receive a steady stream of funds uh, through that. Hmm. Um, yeah. So this a lot like this next portion um, is basically his experiments at Miguel McGill McGill. Um, but I, do you your episode with uh, the Weinstein really covers it? But I, I, there's stuff I want to add to yeah, it. Yeah, please do. Uh, please go. Okay. Do it. Um. So this is a quote from a book. Cameron Cameron saw himself as a iconoclastic innovator pushing psychiatry to embrace the latest pharmaceutical technology and the most cutting edge developments in the newly influential behavioral sciences. sciences. Cameron's sleep room involved putting subjects into electric dream states through insulin overdoses, massive infusions of hallucinogenics like LSD and other experimental drugs, and alarming amounts of electroshock therapy, a process he called depatterning to wipe the brain clean of bad behavior patterns. After blasting away these negative thoughts, Cameron sought to replace them with good ones through what he called psychic driving, which is playing taped messages encouraging positive behavior to his nearly comatose victims for between 16 and 20 hours a day, week after week, as they slipped in and out of consciousness. Um, in one case, a patient underwent reprogramming in Cameron's sleep room for 101 days. So the sleep room was uh, part of depatterning where people would be kept in a coma and woken up and given stuff like LSD and uh, PCP, which PCP, <laughs> I have, my only experiences with PCP are like from that show Cops, where every once in a while there would be a guy on PCP, nude, naked right. from head to toe, yeah, right. just going crazy. Um, right. And there's a slasher movie, I think it's called uh, Home Sweet Home with a body by Jake Guy. I don't know if you remember this guy, but mm -hmm. his whole thing is that he's a mental patient who has a vial of PCP that he just drinks throughout the movie and slashes, <laughs> slashes people wow. up. So, I mean, I, you're in, in the sleep room, you're in darkness, you're in a coma, you're getting um, injections of hallucinogens. And in between that, you're getting electroshock therapy. I believe electroshock therapy at that time, it was common for maybe two to three times a week. And he was doing it uh, two to three times a day on people. Um, and he was doing electroshock long after uh, 
the majority of the medical communities said this type of thing is not effective. It's torture. Um, and then so psychic driving was um, Cameron had an associate. I think his name was Leonard Rubenstein, who was English or Scottish um, that Cameron brought over. And this guy built all of Cameron's gadgets. Um, he One of the things he built was, I believe, was a football helmet with um, speakers in it. Wow. He And they would record, um, Cameron would have psychiatric appointments with people. And they would record things about their problems, you know, be tape recorded. I'm not sure if it was with their consent, although I highly doubt it. Um, and I don't think anybody, none of his patients had informed consent. That's the, the crucial thing. Oh, we'll yeah. help you treat you with your depression. Here, have a football helmet. We're going to scream in your ear for three hours. <laughs> Take some drugs. That's why, yeah. that's why the, you know, these people are suing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and so this Leonard Rubenstein, he, in addition to creating those machines, he would create the tape loops of like I, in um, Journey into Madness. I think one of the women like for weeks had a message of like, I, I, I think it was like, I hate my mom. I hate my mom. I hate my played 16 to 20 hours a day. And then after that, it was like, I love my dad. I love my dad. Something like that. It was something, that's what they did. It was just this tape loop of this phrase repeated over and over and over again for weeks, months. Um, and uh, he, there was, there's a, a woman, I think her name's Mary Marrow, who was, um, she was studying to be a doctor and she had some sort of breakdown. I mean, the, the people that he's dealing with are, are, women who were postpartum depression or anxiety, stress, you know, that sort of thing, um, right. who came to him for, for help. And he basically just abused them, um, with wildly inappropriate, um, uh, ways. Um, so a study, a follow-up study conducted after Cameron left the Allen Memorial Institute found that 75% of his former patients were worse off after treatment than they were before they were admitted. Uh, Cameron himself indicated that the true aim of the CIA funded research was not to improve patients' lives, but to contribute to the Cold War effort, excuse me, hold on. Oh, sorry, effort by perfecting the science of mind control. He compared his patients to prisoners of war who were undergoing interrogation, saying that they, like prisoners of the communists, tended to resist treatment and had to be broken down. Um, so uh, in, in 1963, November 21st, 1963, um, he had a meeting with the uh, aforementioned uh, Dr. James Monroe at McGill. Um, and I think the the meeting was going on during the JFK assassination. Um, Monroe left to take a phone call and came back and told Cameron that immediately his funded funding was getting cut by the CIA. Essentially they were, you know, cutting all funding for him in the 63. Wow, interesting uh, timing. And he died of a massive heart attack in 67. So yeah. He really didn't his kind of torture and uh, human cruelty and violation of the Hippocratic Oath would not continue on forever, right? Yeah. You know, there's part of me. So he he abruptly resigned from McGill and he took all of his paperwork relating to his MKUltra subproject, which was 68. Um, and it, the CIA went nuts um, trying to figure out what to do because he has all the paperwork. Um and also uh, an important part about Cameron is even though he worked in Canada and I don't, I don't know if he lived full time. I think he lived in a hotel where he worked. Um, he did not want Canadian citizenship and he hated French Canadians. So towards the end of his uh, tenure at McGill, he became increasingly paranoid that the French Canadians were the ones reason he couldn't get funding anymore to oh, do wow. his, uh, his work. Wow, so, so he was like a psychiatrist who had psych problems, then, huh? Yeah, <laughs> like that there's reminds, no record of that, right? <laughs> that reminds me of somebody who uh, is on all meat diet and cries frequently. Yeah, <laughs> cries so much, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I have to watch him cry again, right? Because Jordan Peterson graduated from McGill. I mean, yes. the timing is incredible. The other guy whose name I couldn't remember, 
who studied at the Neuropsychiatric Institution is Sam Harris. It under, it's undergone a different name. It's called like the Semmel something else, like a different donor. But it's basically the same institution. So Sam Harris probably knows. And you, I think I, I would be prudent. I would recommend people watch his statements to see if he really believes what he says or whether he's trying to implant concepts into people's minds. Like he might be a little bit more subtle than you think, Sam Harris. Because they learned, some of these guys learned this stuff. And yeah. Jolly West definitely knew it. Cameron probably did too. Yeah. Like it moves beyond like being honestly say, stating something towards like covert influence. Yeah. Um, should we wrap up? I don't want to. Yeah, I think that's probably a good time. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you, you've done a great job, Matt. Thanks so much for sharing all that information. I think it's really important. You see the background of this guy. Most people would think, like I would think, like this all started in 51 after post war. No. It shows that this stuff was leading up to the post-war stuff. And that the the Nazis and the Japanese were doing these weird, you know, experiments. A lot of it, yeah. you know, hasn't been translated or it's still in secret uh, offices, you know, things like that. But, you know, it's just like unbelievable. They had their own, you know, what do you call it? Hamsters or whatever, test subjects that the Germans did the most horrible thing to, to them. The Japanese were actually super cruel as well. I so mean, you see this human cruelty theme. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 very bad. If you don't mind, before I leave, I just want to cite the sources that I used for these. Yeah, please do. Please do. Um, Gordon Thomas, Journey into Madness. The Devil's Chessboard by David Talbot. Great book. Torture and Impunity by Alfred McCoy. Oh, what else? Poisoner in Chief by uh, Stephen Kinzer. And also... Uh, uh, Vicep View Blogspot uh, Recluse, I think his name's Steven Snyder yeah. He has a, some really good Articles on you and Cameron too So oh, um, all those All those things helped me uh, Kind of collate all this information Awesome, yeah, no, really interesting Great presentation, Matt, where's the best place For people to reach out with you if they have any follow Up or your social media um, Twitter.com Slash Matt Akers Music Matt Akers Music, and last name is spelled A-K- ERS, right? So it's all one word, Matt yep. Akers Music. I'll yep. put that in the show notes so people can go check out your excellent research and things like that. Okay. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate right. being on your show. Cool. Awesome. Stay there. Stay there. Stay okay. There.